So Uncle Stephen is a really great guy. I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy him next week, Sunday morning again. And uh, please don't forget about the, um, the Tuesday where he's going to do, spend some time with us here. Um, and he's, a, he's got a real anointing in evangelism. So come with an expectation to, to learn and to receive. Before we're going to jump into the message tonight, um, there was a retreat over the weekend, right? Anyone at the retreat? A couple of people. Great. We're going to have two people just give us feedback. I'm really excited. Uh, I was on, on kitty duty, so I couldn't get the retreat. I didn't chat it to Liana yet, so I'm very excited to hear what happened. So if you guys can quickly come up and uh, uh, share with us. Agnes, let's give Jason a break, and then he can go after you. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so Michelle organized this retreat, um, and it was to spend time with God. We, went, uh, we didn't really talk much social stuff or anything today, and it was just such a blessed space where, where you realize that every in the normal week of life, when you have quiet time, you need to finish it because you have to be somewhere, or you have to finish it because it's late and you actually need to get to bed because you're working again. And it was just nice to have time where you didn't have to be somewhere, and you could just relax with God. And it, it wasn't even about praying about specific things. It was about resting with God and just building that relationship. And it was, of course, also good family time, playing games and 30 seconds and just having good social time also. Thank you. Um, yeah, so the retreat was really awesome. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was at Betty's Bay, which is my happy place. I love going there. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was really great, like Agnes shared, because um, life gets really busy, and very rarely do we just take time out to just wait on God and just to be still and know that He is God, just to let go and know that He is God. Um, and it was great. And I, I went with the expectation that God was gonna like download stuff and like I was gonna be like world changing, and like God did definitely speak to me. But it was really cool. Like yesterday when I was surfing, God was like, I was like, God, I'm loving this. He's like, yeah. Just enjoy life. Like the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like this mustn't just be a once-off thing, but something that's ongoing, um, which was really cool. And then, yeah, uh, I think it was this morning, or no, it was yesterday actually. God gave me a vision of like this box that we sometimes box God into, and I just saw this box just exploding and being obliterated by God. And like God's bigger than we can ever imagine. So, so God did speak to me, but also it was just really restful. Um, and I've, there is hopefully going to be another one. <laughs> I'm sure there will be. But yeah, if there is, I'd really encourage you guys to join it. Cool. Yeah. Cool stuff. Thanks, guys. All right. So for this, this, this evening, um, I want to just quickly co- conclude um, a series that we've been doing calling Possessing to Transform. And I want to actually get very practical. God is a practical God. Um, sounds like we've got some music here. Did you hear the beat? There was a beat. Was it just me? All right, there's a beat. So there's a beat tonight. It's gone now, luckily. Any case, um, I want to I wanna just conclude a series, and um, I want to specifically talk. The series was called Possessing to Transform, and um, next week we're going to get practical, but a quick question, what is, what is the essence of life? What, what is the purpose for us being here? I'm going to ask some questions tonight, so we need to be interactive. Or otherwise, I'm going to have to 
come up with answers. What, what is the reason? Why do we exist? To be in relationship with God, yes. To worship Him. To share the gospel. To glorify God. Right, so all of that is in essence to bring glory to God. Right, that's why we exist. The, the reason why God doesn't just rapture us when we come to salvation is because we are called, we exist to reflect His glory into this world. So um, I want to ask a couple of other questions. Um, who of you um, know someone that they are like really passionate about some things in life? Um, they don't know God, but they, um, they're passionate. And you, you're almost like, you look at their lives and you're like, I really wish they could just know God. Because then we could just direct that passion into a, in a, certain, into a certain direction. You know, someone like that. Okay, so, a lot of us. Um, the next question is, who knows someone that follows Muhammad? In other words, a Muslim. All right? Okay, keep your hands raised if you, if you had your hands raised. Okay, it's, again, almost all of us. Um, then who of you knows someone that's maybe a skeptic, and if they only saw a demonstration of the power of God, they would actually believe in that truth, because their whole life they've just been exposed to skepticism, right? And then the last one is, who of you knows someone that if they just encountered the presence of God, that would be enough, that would be the tipping point for them to know Jesus. Okay, so most of us had our hands up several times. Now, those people are the people that you need to invite in the next couple of weeks. The, our campaign, Denise shared with us, it's called Living Unfiltered. And so, Stephen, like I said, and you saw the video, it's got a real amazing testimony. The guy, the following week um, is from Iran. Um, Kevin Kazemi is uh, an ex-Muslim. He turned to Christ and came to Christ. He believes in signs and wonders, and he operates in gifts of healing. And so um, you can invite the skeptic to, to, to that event. Um, and then the following week, um, we're going to have a session on relationships. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we all also have someone that there's a, a relational brokenness. And we're going to minister into, into that area. So I want to say to you, you know, I've got faith. Not because, you know, we're so cool and everything's so cool. But because God is busy with something. It's amazing to see all these speakers they came to us, and they said, but God has spoken to them. They want to come and minister um, at these events. And we have, of course, you know, God's doing something here. So I want to encourage you um, to invite those people. But did you know that we are not inviteans? We are Christians, right? So we're not supposed to just invite people. We're supposed to reflect the glory of God. Now, if you know um, that if you just invite someone, they're not necessarily going to come. Sometimes, sometimes we're actually surprised that, you know, you didn't think someone would be interested, but then you do invite them, they do come. But mostly people don't just come. They want to see something of the reality of Christ in and through you or someone else. Um, and and that, is, that is our calling. Like I said earlier, our, our, the essence of our purpose is to reflect Christ. Now, 2 Corinthians, I'm going to show you a quick video on the screen. But verse 17 of chapter 3 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm going to show you a quick video. Hopefully, Clee has got the video. Um, now, this is it's, it's just an illustration. Um, who knows what an episcope is? Any artists in the house? An episcope, right? Who knows what a periscope is? Okay, okay. Who knows what a projector is? Okay. Now, the episcope is the predecessor of the projector, okay? Um, what artists would do is they would take an image. Um, if they want to do, say, a mural, they would take the image, put the episcope on, and it would project the image on a, on a, on a wall, and then they could paint over that image, all right? But like I said, it's the predecessor of the projector. But I think this is, this is such an um, analogy of what the Scripture says of, of who we are. Okay, so I'm going to show you a quick video. It's not the greatest of videos, but I think you're going to get the point. Got a sudden stop there. Like I said, not the greatest video, but I think you get the point. An episcope is an optical projector which gives image of opaque objects. So, another question. Who of you have heard of someone that they came to Christ by taking the Scriptures, the Word? Taking a Bible, opening up the Bible and reading the Bible. Through that, they came to salvation. Okay, so a, a couple of a couple of us know someone. Maybe you yourself um, came to Christ that way. Um, it can definitely happen, and it does happen, that people do pick up the Word. But mostly not, right? Mostly people need to see it in 3D, right? And mostly they need to see um, Christ reflected in a person, right? They need to see the image of God on a screen, and that is our lives. That's what we do. We are the episcope of God. We reflect Him. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says. It says, we are the image of God in this world. We reflect Him. So we literally take the Word and we reflect it into this life. So if you, if you continue the analogy, um, that opaque picture, that is the Word. Right? Then um, the episcope um, consists out of mirrors and prisms that reflects the light, right, and, and projects it to, to the other side. Um, then, of course, there's the bulb, the light, and the bulb shines light onto the image and it reflects back and, you know, then is presented on the screen. Um, but finally, there's a focus. I don't know if you saw, uh, you know, at the beginning, the guy was sort of playing around with the focus. Now, each of these elements are crucial for a proper, clear image that you can see, right? There were a couple of stages where you could see there was something, but you couldn't clearly see. But you guys agree with me that it's quite important that all those elements work together. Right, so now I want to continue the analogy, and I want to first talk about the focus. So 2 Corinthians, let me read it again. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled faces... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, there's the mirrors, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as, the Spirit, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So now the first thing is the focus, um, that unveiling of our faces. Now that's the thing that happens when you and I come to Jesus. Suddenly 
the veil that was in front of our eyes. Maybe you were exposed to the Christian message of our life. Maybe you heard, maybe you even read the Bible. But there was some day where it just all made sense. I remember for me, I was, I was in a meeting and suddenly everything I ever always heard just became reality for me. You know, I knew John 3.16, but in that moment, I sat there and I knew Jesus loves me, you know. God so loved the world, that's what I always knew, but that moment I knew He loved me and I knew it. It was reality to, to me. It was like that veil had lifted. And I don't, I don't know why it was in that particular instance, but it was when the veil was lifted. Now, if you place a veil in front, some, in front of someone's eyes and you put them in front of a screen or um, you know, in front of a light, they can see, but very dimly, you know, or maybe if, if, if the veil is like very thick, you can't see anything. Sometimes it's a bit less thick, but you can't see clearly the veil needs to be lifted, right? And so, you know, when, then we come to Christ and then we see clearly. And then sometimes we're in, in, informed by other opinions, we're informed by maybe religious ideas, and then it sort of tunes out the focus, right? We, we, the veil is still gone, but we need to refocus, retune um, that focus so that we see clear, we know clear, or maybe just life experiences happens and, and now suddenly it's difficult to focus. Maybe the, I've moved away from the, from the wall. So that focus is very necessary, right? So that we can see um, the picture. Now, if you move um, the episcope, you need to change the focus again. If it moves a bit closer, you know, you need to refocus and so on. You get the point. Now, I want to give you a, a, a good illustration or just example, a little example of something that changes our focus and, and something that I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite convinced, um, and I, like I'm getting very practical in my own life regarding this. Um, but did you know that the guys that um, translated the Bible were people like you and me, Right? They studied the scriptures, and they studied the languages, and they studied the culture of the day. But they are people like you and me. And they are people at various times, and who of you know that the church has been progressing over the centuries, right? Um, and we've grown. God has revealed more and more and more to His church. So certain things that wasn't practiced in the Middle Ages, God had returned to the church. Um, things like being filled with the Spirit, things like... Um, the gifts of the Spirit, things like being baptized in water for many, many thousands of years, people were sprinkled, right? Those were certain things that were restored to the church. So remember that these people translated the Bible, and um, they were in, you know, informed by their, both their cultural space, but also their um, religious denominational influence, right? So they would look at the Bible and they would interpret it according to that. Now, what I do want to say just for clarity's sake is, is in, and I'm not sure I have to explain that to everyone, but the Bible, the scripture, the veracity of the scripture, in other words, the, the fact that the scriptures is supernaturally inspired and is, is the most, um, you know, I'm sure all of us are convinced of that fact that, you know, the amount of manuscripts and the, the preservation of the scriptures that, you know, causes us to have the Bible that is completely perfectly intact to what it was, um, you know, when it was written back 2,000 years ago and more. Um, that is amazing, right? 
and, and, and I'm not challenging that in any way. The, the, the word that we have is the word. But now there's certain little things, um, and I don't want to belabor the point, but it's, I do feel it's, it's crucial. Two things. You know the chapters and the verses of your Bible? You realize, of course, that's not in the original text. Okay? Now, sometimes that can influence us, us in how we read it. So to give you a good, good example, actually the, the verse that we're looking at, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, ends off a thought. So there's a, there's a title, and then it's the end of the chapter, and then chapter 4 starts with a new title and a new chapter number. So your initial idea would be, well, the thought is, is closed and finished. We're starting with something new, which isn't the case. Right? So sometimes they, they put chapters and headings and so on, um, and it's not actually the heart of the original text. Right? You understand that it doesn't affect the veracity of Scripture, but it does inf- affect our interpretation of it. So the one is the chapters and the verses. Keep that in mind. It's very useful, of course, to have chapters and verses. That's why we get very practical around Scriptures. But keep in mind that it was given by people, right? That wasn't God-inspired, okay? Um, the, the other thing is, um, I don't know if you've recently or at, at some point read um, or saw, you saw a newspaper paper headline, the heading, and, you know, it really drew your attention. Here's the example this morning. Uh, Cape Town hits day zero, right? If you see that heading, you're like, I'm going to read that article. I'm going to see what it's about and what, where are the facts, you know. But that heading really determines how you read the article, right? So my point is the heading, heading is quite crucial because it determines your expectation of what you are about to read. Now, I'm going to give you an example. And actually, I want to actually, um, you know, if, if you write in your Bible, I want to challenge you to even read passages of Scripture and come up with your own title. Because to me, many, many of the headings of passages of Scripture, it's not correct. It's maybe right, but it's not the essence of, of that chapter. So now, we're going to read now from uh, John chapter 4. Let me give you a quick, quick, quick rundown or a refresher of what the chapter is about. It's about Jesus. He moves around with his disciples, and then he, um, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, he goes into Samaria. At the well, he meets this woman, right? And this woman um, is not supposed to speak to her, but he has a conversation. But it's not just like an ordinary conversation. He speaks into her life so much so that after that discussion, she went back, goes back into the village, and she tells everyone there, this man told me everything of my whole life. And, and I mean, the people of that village knew this woman was, knew that she had so many husbands, so they knew this woman. Um, but they were so moved by a testimony that they went out to find this guy. You know, so this is radical stuff. I mean, just imagine this woman that everyone sort of rejected. She comes and she mobilizes a whole village to come out. You know, that's quite intense, right? And so they go out and they meet with Jesus and they like have an encounter with Jesus and they come to salvation, right? Um, so much so, Dr. Conor Becker, he says, he's a scholar of, of uh, he's a biblical scholar. He says that that revival, that which happened in Samaria, there's still effects of it today. There's still a movement of Samaritans that follow God because of that moment. So that's like, it was a pretty 
amazing moment of Jesus stepping into a, a people group. Now, my question to you is, what would you call that passage of Scripture? What would you make the heading? If you were translating the Bible and you had your own translation, what would you call it? Say again? Woman causes revival. Anyone else? Jesus speaks to the woman at the well. That change of living water. The change of living waters. Okay. Okay. Now I love that. That's great. Now I want to give you and different translations give different headings, but um, the one um, I forgot now. I think it's the NIV says disciples rejoin Jesus. Okay. Now is that correct? Yes correct because Jesus was talking to the woman and then the disciples join him because it's it's not wrong but it's just not the essence of what happened there right and so I can give you other examples um, of, of a similar thing but it's just something to keep in mind you know like I said I don't want to belabor the point but just something to note um, the focus is really important so the first thing is to get the focus right the second thing is is the image other order, if someone was at the morning service, I'm sorry that I'm messing around. I, I tend to do this thing. Um, the episcope reflects an image, right? Episcope reflects an image. Now, that image for us as the believer, for us who have given our lives to God, the image there is the Word, right? Jesus says, or the, the, the book of John says that Jesus was the Word, made flesh. In other words, the Word of God made visible for men to see. So Jesus himself was an episcope. People could look at him and they could understand the Word of God. They can, could understand who God is. In fact, Jesus many times say, said it. He said, if you see me, you see the Father. Do you remember that? So what is Jesus saying? He says, I'm a good episcope of the Father. I reflect the Word, the living Word. I am the living Word. So people can look at me and they can see God. Now that's, that's our calling. So the first, the first point is that image needs to be good. If the image that the episcope is projecting is bad or there's a loss of information, guess what? The projection would have a loss of information. So the point here is you cannot be a good reflection of the glory of God if you do not have the word, Right? Some of us, we live on a second-hand um, intake of the Word. Our intake is, is either through sermons or through things that we're listening, in, listening to, but it's not first-hand. S- connecting with the Word, studying the Word, allowing the Word to speak. I, I love the, 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 the testimonies. The powerful thing is that we give God time. Because sometimes we read, read, go on. But, but, but the way um, the Bible speaks about meditation, Right? It only becomes part of us if we meditate on the Word. If we listen, we read, and we meditate, we're allowed to become, form part of us, right? Then the projection projects something that is reality. Sometimes we, we, we project popular opinion, right? Now, guess what? God is not going to speak through popular opinion. He speaks through His Word, right? But we project, and, and, and please note, we don't have to come up with the image. That is good news. 
right? We don't have to walk in the world and come up with, form something within ourselves that would reflect to the world that would change people. No, Jesus changes people. He's at work. He's moving. He's doing his job. Don't worry about that. We just reflect the image. So that's the first point. The second point that's really important is not to waste our lives. So you can take that little contraption called an episcope and you can get lots of good uses for that thing. But that thing was made to project an image. And more specifically for us, we are supposed to project the image, like I explained just now, the word. Right? That is our purpose. So you can find lots of, lots of good uses, but there's a purpose um, that God has intended. The designer has intended us to, um, to be used for. Let me continue and read now the passage in John chapter 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than, than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but, it, but he needed to go through Samaria. Let me just pause there for a second. I love to look at the dynamic of Jesus when he was, was on earth, not just his relationship with, with his disciples, but his, 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 his purposefulness and his decision to, to go from here to there and his reasoning behind it. And we see something very interesting there. Um, a couple of uh, a while ago, I was um, spending time with um, a new believer, someone that came from a different religion, and I was reading through the Gospels. I told him, go read the Gospels because he had never read the Bible. So I said to him, read the Bible and come back and, and you know, we talk about all your questions. And it was amazing, the questions. He, you know, it's the first time he ever read the Bible. But the questions that he came back with was really amazing questions. And um, many of them I, just, I didn't answer because God wants to answer our questions. The deepest questions of our hearts, God, God answers those. And only him, he can, in fact, answer those questions. But in any case, the one question really stood out for me, and it's actually, I just remembered it from then. Um, he said, when Jesus walked at the, lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, and he called his disciples. How was it possible that these people that didn't know him from anything turned around, left everything, and followed him? Good question, don't you think? That is a really good question. Hey? I don't have the answer to it. But, but something was really amazing there, right? There's some sort of miracle. We, we, we sort of get um, Nathan. We sort, of, we sort of see there, because um, the scripture alludes to the fact that Jesus has this conversation with him. He says, I saw you on the hill at the fig tree. And then, then Nathan has this, this moment where he's like, this is the son of God. Now, it doesn't really tell us why, but it just it was, it must have been a personal thing. I, I can imagine, just my imagination says, he was, he was at the fig tree and he was speaking to God. And then Jesus comes to him and he says to him that same thing that he was talking. I can just, that's sort of just my imagination. We don't know. The only thing is we know that something amazing happened there. Now, how is it possible that these disciples followed him? But let's now continue to John chapter 4, before Jesus goes into Samaria. The scripture says the following. The Pharisees had heard that Jesus was baptizing. Now, the whole narrative of the Gospels is Jesus is doing things and the Pharisees are accusing him. 
They're trying to kill him. They're trying to take him out. At some stages, they take, pick up stones ready to stone him. At another place, um, he walks close to the ledge, and they're ready to throw him off the ledge. Um, and, you know, it's like, if you read the Bible from a naturalistic point, you, you're like, yeah, this is a drama here. You know, Jesus almost died there, you know. But, of course, we know God the Father had his hand, and there was a plan, right? And then so, so for some other reason, by some miracle, they don't throw Jesus off the ledge. But now here again, we see the Pharisees, they onto Jesus. They find out he's baptizing more people than John. And so Jesus is on their radar. So Jesus finds out about this. We knew this, the scripture says. And he now moves on. He says, we're going to go there. All right? We, we, we're moving to Galilee. But before Galilee, we, we can only assume by the scripture that he was led by the Holy Spirit into Samaria. Now, what is the principle? Yeah, and it's, it's really such a powerful pr principle. It's if we follow God, we'll always be one step ahead of the devil. Did you know that the Pharisees, they, they weren't evil in themselves, but even Jesus said at, at some point to the Pharisees, he says, you are not of your father, Abram. You are of your father, the devil. Quite an intense thing, intense thing to say. But they were the religious people of the day, but... But Jesus was basically saying, listen, you are not executing God's will. You're doing the work of the devil. Scary. You know, scary for us if we, if we get stuck in dead religion um, apart from relationship to God. But here we see that they were executing the works of the devil in so much so that eventually they killed Jesus. But God in his sovereignty, he knew the bigger picture and it was just a big setup. But the good news of this passage of Scripture is if you follow God, you'll always be one step ahead of the devil, right? Now, there's this lie that I pick up, and maybe you don't have this lie, but maybe you're just aware of it. Um, there's this lie that says if you really um, walk in God's will, you better watch out because the devil's coming for you, and he's going to take you out. So must, you mustn't like really, you must sort of just be careful, you know, just be wise and, you know, don't really full out, you know, follow God. You sort of you recognize that thought, right? Now, if you follow Jesus, you'll always be one step ahead, right? He will lead you into the place that you need to be. Then, a bit later now, so Jesus ministers to this woman. She then goes to Samaria, and the disciples return to Jesus, and they say to him, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And he who reaps, receives wages and gathers food for eternal life, that both of you sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Now, Jesus says something really powerful. He says that there's, there's something that nourishes you more than natural food would nourish you. He says so much so that he's not concerned about food because his food is to do the will of his Father. Now, Jesus, of course, ate natural food. In fact, the Pharisees accused him at some stage and said that he's a glutton, right? He eats and he drinks wine. You know, remember that accusation? So Jesus had no problem with natural food. He wasn't like fasting forever. Um, you know, he had a good relationship with food, but 
there was something, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that there was some nourishment that was greater than the nourishment of food. And so for us here today, there's nourishment, there's food that God has for you. Today, tomorrow, and this whole week, and beyond that, of course. Um, but Jesus says, um, pray for your daily bread, right? And of course, it talks about natural food. God takes care of us. But more than that, it's talking about our spiritual food. Now, every moment, every day, God is spiritual nourishment. That's the revelation of a time like a retreat. Is hey, this, this thing sustains me. This coming to God, it sustains me. Now, in the same way, when we execute, when we do the will of God, it sustains us. There's a nourishment that you get from doing the will of God. But now, there's this verse that really gets my attention here. Verse 36. It says, And he who reaps receives wages. Other translation says, A reward. Now, I don't know about you, but if I see reward, I'm like, I want that. That's good. You know, I want, who wants a reward? Right? Now, we all want a reward. And then it says, Who gathers fruit for eternal life. So there's a gathering of fruit. There's a reward if we get busy with that activity. Now, let's, we're going to look at what it is just in a moment. But there's a reward that God wants to give us when we align ourselves with Him and His heart. And so I'm a parent of two little kids. And I love as a parent to give my kids rewards. Right? Not just because of the joy of that moment. My kids love sweeties. I think obviously all kids love sweeties. But now... Um, my sister came yesterday and she gave lots of sweeties, you know, and now, now it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to manage, right? And now, so, you know, Liana was on a retreat, right? So the, the, the place is a mess. This, everything is messed up in the rooms. So I said to them, clean your rooms, right? Clean your rooms. And it was a, Malaya was like, clean everything. And Evan was like, ours. You know, we said ours. But there was the reward, right? But um, I take pleasure in giving them the reward because there's certain um, behavior in them that pleases me, right? And God the Father is not a performance father. So, so it's not that performance thing that some of us are, you know, used to a father that really, you know, if you do this, you get this. It's not, it's not like that. It's, it's the joy of the father seeing something in his children that is good for them, that is blessed to them. God is a good father. We sing that song, and it's the reality of Scripture. It's the story of Scripture. God is a good father that wants good things for his children. He wants to reward us for good behavior. Now, what is the behavior? The behavior is reaping. And Jesus then goes on. We know the famous passage of um, the harvest. The harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. So no matter how you look at this, it talks about him that sows and him that reaps. No matter how you look at this, this speaks about leading people to salvation. Those that are not, not part of the kingdom, whatever part you play in it, whether it's the sowing or the reaping, um, in practical sense for us next week on Sunday, whether you do the projector, where you welcome people, whatever role you've got to play, whether you invite people, uh, minister to people, whatever part of that, there's a reward for us because we're here for a purpose. That is to preach the gospel. That is to reflect God's glory to those that do not know him. God is a father, and his desire is for all men to be saved. His heart is longing for those that don't know him. He's passionately waiting for their, their return. Like Jesus tells the parable of the, 
um, the prodigal son, the father that is awaiting the son to return. So there's a reward. So the point of this is don't waste your life. Don't waste the instrument that God had designed to reflect His glory. Now, like I said earlier, that episcope can be used for lots of cool stuff, right? You can reflect like lots, if you take that projector, lots of videos, and it can be used for entertainment. The, 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 um, that tool of an episcope can be used for lots of cool stuff, but it has been intended for one purpose, and that is to reflect the glory of God, right? Now, make the decision. Choose to use your time wisely. Don't waste your life. The next point, first one was the focus. The second one was um, getting the word. Make sure that the image is right. The third one was not to waste your life. The fourth one is switching on the light, right? That system doesn't work if the light bulb is not switched on. Because it reflects the light. The, the mirrors, we're going to talk about that now. And um, the focus, all of that could be right. But if there's no light bulb in, it, it doesn't do anything. Now, what is the light bulb? How, if you are the only believer, there's a group of people, and you are wanting to shine your light, how will you do it? Practical. God puts you in a situation, and you're you there. Um, the only way that these people will know that there is a God is if you... Shine your light. Now, how will you do it in practical terms? Any suggestions? Then let me pick someone. How would you, how would you show that God is God and God is real? Speak friendly with people. All right. Yes. Great stuff. Consistency. Yes. Consistent joy. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, um, uh, let, let me put it this way. So someone uh, this morning said, um, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, to agree that the degree that is, that is true, but do you know when the fruit of the Spirit is, is really amazing? So, so joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and all of these things. When you shine your light and the fruit of your life is bad, what happens? People question, is it real? They, they, they don't recognize. So it, it is crucial, but to me it's, it's still not shining the light. It, it, it adds weight to the light. If you're kind and real and long-suffering and kind are all the fruit of the Spirit, it is essential because the moment you have bad fruit, it, it doesn't, doesn't help. But still, what is the shining the light? Speaking truth, all right. Okay, love others like God loves you. Your testimony, yes. So basically Jesus says it, actually in John chapter 4, we're not going to look at it, but he says to this woman, um, if you come to me, I'll give you waters to drink, and you'll never thirst again. But then when he sits down with his disciples, after verse 36, he says to them, um, now... Streams of living waters will flow from your innermost being, right? So something has happened on the inside, but, but now it gives you the Holy Spirit that helps, that, that, that gets you to tap into something that is not of yourself. It's called the power of God, right? Now, 
you can access it through the Holy Spirit. When you've been born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, that's how you shine your life. So the essence is you preach the gospel. So the certain things, the, the sharing the truth, um, the demonstrating the love, that is um, preaching the gospel. Now, some of us, when we hear preaching the gospel, we think someone's standing on a street corner shouting out, repent, you know, be, be us. That is not preaching the gospel. The preaching, the go- preaching the gospel is going into a situation, finding the need, and ministering into the need through the power of God, whatever form it takes. Now, you can use your creativity or the creativity that the Holy Spirit gives you to connect with that need, and now God will fulfill that need. God is amazing in this regard. He meets the need. But in that meeting the need, there's there's the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, someone mentioned loving in this morning as well. You can love someone, and you can demonstrate Christ in their life, but if you are in their life, and at some point you don't say to them, listen, there's eternity at stake. You need to receive Jesus, or otherwise you are not entering into heaven. Now, if you don't do that at some stage, are you really loving that person? No. If, 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 if my sister, if I don't tell her, my brother or whoever it is, if I don't tell him, listen, um, you know, maybe shame love, but I don't tell him you need to receive Jesus, I'm not really loving him, right? I'm not saying the first time you start the relationships come out with the whole thing. I'm just saying at some point you need to demonstrate God's love by sharing eternity. The Bible says eternity is in the heart of man. It's already there. But at some, time, at some point, you need to shine your light, shine God's light onto that eternity that is in everyone's heart. Everyone wants to be with Jesus in eternity. It's in us. It's in us. And we need to shine the light. So um, we need to shine a light. We need to make sure that the light is switched on, right? This episcope can be amazing. The mirrors can be perfect. It could be, have the greatest focus, but without the light. You know, we, you, can have, you can be a really good Christian, have perfect character and, and um, be Jesus, but without the light, it's still not reflecting the image of God, all right? And yes, in your conduct, there's, there's an there's a, there's a image, there's a something that people can see, but God has given us the words of our mouth to speak life, right? So we need to speak life. We need to switch on the light. And then the final thing. This is crucial because um, this is not a one-man show. But let me read 2 Corinthians. Started with this verse earlier. Chapter 17, I read, now the Spirit of the Lord is, um, and it talks about the reflecting God's glory, the, the, the image of God, the glory of God through a mirror uh, with unveiled faces. But then it says in chapter 4, verse 4, remember the two chapters are actually one whose minds of the God of this age has blinded. So it's speaking about people that don't know God. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should be shone on them. Right, you see the episcope picture here. We are used as the light of God that would shine the image on God, of God on them. For do, we do not preach ourselves, so that's what we do, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves 
your bondservant for Jesus' sake. So he says, we open our mouths, but we don't preach ourselves. It's Jesus through us. I love what the last chapter, the last verse of Mark says. It says, after Jesus had, had raised into heaven, ascended into heaven, the disciples went about preaching the gospel, and the Holy Spirit worked with them, right? With signs and wonders as they preached the message. So it wasn't at them themselves. And then verse 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine on darkness, who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So there's this, there's this um, reflection. Now the analogy of the episcope again. If you take an episcope, there's lots of those mirrors. Right? The light shines onto the image. The image reflects it back. And the mirrors um, relate through back. Um, and then you've got an image. Now, there's lots of mirrors. It's not just one mirror. But there are lots of mirrors and they're at different angles. Right? Now, the angle is really important. If you change the angle, and they are at different angles, but if you change the angle, if one of the mirrors, or the, the angle is changed, you get a distorted image. If your crucial mirror is, is, um, is, is shifted around, you might get no image. The fact of the matter is there's lots of mirrors, and they work, work together. And this is, this is, to me, again, an analogy of the body of Christ, Right? There's different mirrors, and sometimes we're tempted to say, but listen, you're not at the same angle as me, you better change, because the way that God uses me is this way, and you need to shine in this way. Now, we need to recognize that, no, God has made that mirror to angle in this way. It doesn't feel right, because you are a, a mirror that you know, reflects back straight, but this one is on an angle. But the, the, the full picture of us as mirrors um, reflect this image of God, right? The kingdom is not a one-man show, you know, and reflecting God's glory into this world is the work of the church. God has called us to work together and to celebrate one another, to celebrate different, different giftings and different uses and different ways of reflecting His image. That, is, that brings together the good picture, the bigger picture, is if we reflect Him. I want us to stand this, this evening, and we are going to pray. We're going to ask God, those people that you mentioned, and some of us, maybe you don't know someone, maybe you can invite to events such as next week and the following week, but we can ask God. We can say, God, we want to be your laborers. Jesus says, there's no problem with the harvest, but... Um, we need to pray for the harvesters. And that's us. We need to pray and to come and say, God, use us so that we can further your kingdom. So we're going to ask God, and, and I can promise you, God, as you pray and you open your heart to him, he will show you people and he'll even give you the strategy. But the purpose is this, or the essence is this, we need to reflect God's glory and people will begin to see his glory in this world. But I first want to pray for us. Let's close our eyes. I want to pray for us, if, if, if firstly that image is a bit distorted, and I'm not talking about the image that you're reflecting, but I'm talking about the image that you're seeing. And further, I want to pray together with us that we 
would be spiritually nourished. Like Jesus says, my food, my sustenance. And some of us, in a sense, you feel, you feel a bit weak. You feel a bit timid, if you will. But did you know that if you don't eat for a week, you're going to be really weak in the natural. You're going to really struggle to pick yourself up. You're, going to not, you're not going to think straight. You're going to, there's a lot of things that are going to be wrong. In the spiritual, it's the same. Some of us are spiritually like really hungry. We're starving. We're starving. Now, you can go and take the word. You can read it. You can go and do a lot of things. But there's a real sustenance that if we sit down and we allow God, we say, God, let your will be done in and through me. God, come and, come and take me and give me that sustenance that Jesus comes and he gives it to you. Pray for your daily bread. Now we're going to pray. We're going to say, God, give me bread. Jesus says, if you drink of these waters, you'll never thirst again. If you eat of me, you'll never hunger again. There's a sustenance that is available. And, and it's, you, can't, you can't in the natural, you can't now like eat food now for the next month in one moment. Did you know that's not going to work? You need to take it three meals a day, maybe more. You can't say, well, yes, I had this amazing encounter with Jesus 10 years ago. It's not enough. Daily, there's bread. Daily, He wants to give you sustenance and nurture you. So, Father, I pray for those of us that are hungry in this place. Won't you stretch out your hands to heaven if that's you? God, give me food to eat. Give me nourishment. Father, come and give me that life that only you can give. Give me the bread. That is for today, for this moment, God. The day is almost gone, but there's still food for your sons and daughters. Show us, God. Father, that you would nourish us. God, that you would direct us. God, that you would cause us to make decisions in our life, lives, God, that constantly sustain us as we do the will of the Father, that we don't waste our lives on on things that are peripheral that on things that are are good things but god we say we want the best things your best not the good of the world because the good of the world satisfies us a little bit but you satisfy us completely thank you for the eternity that is in our hearts that you've you've placed there before we continue to pray if you here today that eternity in your heart is in your heart you can lower your hands quickly. If there is a connection that is missing between you and Jesus, I want to pray for you tonight. The image is blurred. There's something, there's something. You really hunger and you really thirst, but that connection with Jesus is, is not what it should be. That maybe it was there, but it's not. Maybe you, you heard His voice at one stage, but you don't hear His voice at the moment. I want to pray for you. Why don't you raise your hand? Say, Jesus come to you. Is anyone else? Just raise your hand. Respond to your maker. Respond to him. Say, Jesus, I come to you. I come to drink. 
I come to you as that Samaritan woman. And Lord, everything was lost and everything was broken, but she sat with Jesus. And Jesus gave her waters to drink. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for every hand, every person responding in their hearts. I want you to pray with me if that's you. Lord Jesus, I come to you. And I thank you, Jesus, for living waters. I confess, Lord, that I cannot change myself. I cannot save myself. But you can save me. I ask, Lord Jesus, save me again. Make me new. I thank you, Jesus, that you make all things new. And that, God, you remove the sin as far as the east is from the west. You make me new. Thank you that I can hear your voice and that I can know your name. Hallelujah. Father, I want to pray for every one of us here. We pray for simple instruction this week. We thank you for clarity, God. That you would tune us, God. That you would come and bring the focus. God, it's you're the designer. You made us, God. You know what needs to be fine-tuned. You know the obstacles that is interrupting the reflection of the light. Lord, you know everything. We give you the right as the designer of this episcope to come and fix us, to come and reflect the light again. And God, I bless every person that is, that is being a good episcope. Father, thank you for the wages, the reward that they have in Jesus, the fruit. And God, as, as I believe you've said, Lord, you want, to, want us to be a fruitful people. You're going to give us so much fruit. So pray for much fruit, God, in our hearts, in our lives. Fruit that is unto eternity, but fruit in this life that we can taste that we can eat, we can enjoy, that nourishes us, in Jesus' name. I want to ask us to where you're standing, if you're comfortable, if you're not, that's fine. If you can just turn to the person next to you, and let's just pray. If there's anything that stood out for you, let's just have family time, pray for one another. Um, but also let's pray for those that you know, the needs the love of Jesus, the light of Jesus shone in their lives. Let's pray for one another.